This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Chances are you will know floral designer Philippa Craddock's name as a result of her work on one of the sweetest and most romantic weddings of the past decade, that of the standard-changing Macon Markle, now Duchess of Sussex, in her 2018 wedding to Prince Harry, now Duke of Sussex. Megan's posy-style bouquet was understated yet meaningful, featuring fragrant lily of the valley, a stillbe, the large inflorescences of which were hand-separated into slimmer sections, astrantia, jasmine, and myrtle, as well as the late Princess Diana's favorite flowers, forget-me-nots. As we enter what should be the height of wedding season in the Northern Hemisphere, Philippa, a longtime famed floral designer in the United Kingdom, joins us to share more about wedding floristry, sustainability, and building confidence in business. She joins us today from her stay-at-home time in East Sussex. Welcome, Philippa. Jennifer, thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very honored and excited to be here. So I would love to, first of all, remind people that you were the floral heart and mind and hands behind one of the most romantic bridal bouquets in the last few years of our cultural history. Tell us about that bridal bouquet, Philippa. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, the bridal bouquet. So this is, of course, the, the design that you're talking about that I was incredibly lucky to be asked to make for Meghan um, when she married Harry. The, the design, I, I think traditionally, particularly with royal weddings or royal brides, um, is they, they had very structured, very precise bouquets. Either they'd been very large or indeed they had been intricately wide and every single one previously had been absolutely beautiful. But this wedding was something very different. I think it was a very, very, um, I guess, sort of modern look at royal weddings. And the couple were much more relaxed and laid back. And the day had to reflect them. Of course, it was very much a, a public event, but it was it was absolutely a love story and two people coming together. So the design needed to reflect exactly who they were um, as a couple. And Megan is, she's a very um, sort of real, humble, down-to-earth girl. And rather than creating something that was very intricate and um, sort of heavily designed, we decided quite early on, it was important, we decided together that her design needed to be something that was more gentle and sort of gradually brought together. But it also had, had to have lots and lots of little detail in it. So plenty of the flowers had lots of meaning. We included um, in seasonal flowers as well. And one of the flowers um, was a forget-me-not, a, a very beautiful white forget-me-not. And that was incredibly symbolic because it was Harry's mother's. It's one of, one of her um, favorite flowers. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, it was just heaven to be able to use all of those flowers. And then it was a very simple, petite design, um, never, to, never to dominate. Um, her dress was very simple. So we couldn't have something that was over, overly elaborate. 
the beauty of this was not only in the simplicity, but also in, as you just were describing, this attunement to the person and the personality and the heart of the situation rather than the spectacle of the situation. And while this is a beautiful kind of resonance with the emotion, it was also a just really highly sensitive business decision. As a floral designer and an event designer on your part, tell us a little bit about you, Philippa, and first of all, how did you become a floral designer to the point that you were at a business level that you would even be considered for a royal wedding? So I think sort of going back 10 years, so I started my business 10 years ago and I came into the profession in a slightly unusual way in that I had never previously had any experience. I knew about flowers, of course I did, but I really didn't know that much about flowers. I, I understood the difference between a tulip and a rose, but honestly, that is as far as my knowledge went. Um, I so previously, I'd always been very artistic and, and I was I was pretty rubbish at most subjects at school. I subsequently found out that I'm dyslexic. So I'm a great problem solver and, and highly creative. And I had worked in a number of business environments, which were, which were great and exciting. And I learned a huge amount, um, but it was never areas that I felt very passionate about, um, nor did I feel I could excel in. And I always felt that I wanted to have my own business, but I had no idea what that would look like. And it wasn't until I had my first child, and I think it was really important to have something that was very significant happen to me in my life that was going to break me away mm -hmm. from the business environment. And then suddenly having my child, I knew that I didn't want to go back to work full time in an office and have to leave him. And so I came up with a number of different ideas and different business ideas. And one of the businesses that I started, um, which didn't go successfully, was a plant business. So selling beautifully packaged plants as gifts online. And that turned into a floral business. People started using the plants as table centers for weddings um, instead of as gifts. I was then asked if I could create the bridal flowers, um, which I couldn't at all because I certainly wasn't a florist. And I had worked with a couple of local florists asking them to create the designs. And I just felt that perhaps they hadn't quite got the brief right, but I, I could see that what the client was looking for and what was being created wasn't marrying up. So I decided just to have a practice and have a go and to see if it was something that I could do. And it was like, I don't know, it was like a sort of a thunderbolt almost. It was just, oh my goodness. I completely and utterly fell in love with floristry. I just got it. I love the shape of the flowers. I love the way they work together. I love the way they all had different personalities and different angles. And it just came, it was just something that was sort of intuitively amazing. And I, I just loved creating and styling with flowers. So that that's how the business started um, right at the beginning. And 
I think early on, it was very much a kitchen table floristry business. And I supported um, a couple of local restaurants. Um, but it was really hard getting those contracts. Um, this wasn't something that was really easy. The number of knockbacks that I had early on, I mean, I've sort of lost count of the, the number of no's that I had. And just constantly persevering and persevering. There was there was once I ended up, there was a restaurant that had just recently opened and I sort of arrived to ask if I could do their flowers and and they were they were very, very busy. So rather than bothering them with um something as sort of mundane as flowers and probably in their mind at that stage, I picked up a hoover and I spent an entire day dusting and hoovering to help them open up the restaurant. And then at the end of the day <laughs> I then asked if I could do their flowers. But it's just Doing those kind of things and persevering and being absolutely determined that I was going to have that tiny, tiny contract. And that is definitely what what sort of helped um, as I went along. So it was very, very small steps at the beginning and um, just being very focused and and, and quite determined. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's so important in both working with plants and the living organisms that they are, but it's also really important to working with other people and being in a business. So take us back just a tiny bit further. You you talk about this thunderbolt of kind of recognition between you and this love for the flowers that you found as an adult, first-time mother, and first-time business owner of your own. And were there people or places or plants that kind of set that seed earlier in your life? Or was this really a brand new attraction at at your adulthood? It was it it was completely brand new. So it's almost like an artist suddenly discovering paint. I love it. And all the different varieties of paints and all the different colours and the texture. And that is exactly what floristry was like for me. It was just suddenly realizing all these different flowers and not only the different varieties, but the seasons. And rather than being sort of scared and not knowing it was just this sort of excitement of discovery and um it was sort of in in the early stages some one of our biggest suppliers um was a, a Dutch um, supplier. So I was learning flower names in both Latin and in English and in Dutch. So I was constantly getting the names wrong as well. So, so for the first few years, I was, I was very muddled up, but it was, there was something rather joyous about that. And um, I think I sort of, I, I think it's really important to celebrate naivety and never to be embarrassed about, about, not knowing something um, is that it makes it makes the whole learning a bit more exciting. Definitely. Well, and I would also say that there is this beauty to the fact that I think many people feel as though you have to know plants from an early age, or you, that you are born with an understanding of of what their value is to you, or their beauty and attraction is to you. But to have uh, people hear that that you can come to this love and be successful with it as an adult, I think is a really powerful affirmation. It's not necessarily something you recognize early in life all the time. No, my goodness. You're, you're absolutely right. And I was doing a 
a talk recently and I was explaining that actually people who are just discovered flowers and they're sort of entering this world, I'm really jealous of them because they're coming in with no preconceived ideas. They're absolutely brand new to all of this. So therefore anything is possible and it's almost childlike and it should be celebrated in that way. Of course, if you grow up with flowers and you've got plenty of experience and and you sort of learn from your grandmother, you are a number of steps ahead because you understand about seasonality and you understand about the care. So you you, you jump start um, mm-hmm. quite significantly. So it is a massive learning curve. But if you're willing to put that time in and, and also if you're willing to fail, and I think that is absolutely key, you have got to feel confident to be to come across as being foolish, to come across as being um, naive, to to absolutely get things wrong, as long as you don't do it on somebody's wedding day. But you have to be prepared to put yourself out there and to absolutely fail. Otherwise, you won't you won't be able to learn and not worry about that. It's just it, it simply it just does not matter. I think this is really important. And before we dive deeply into that, I want you to tell us the process that you took because you clearly had a business sense before you had a floral sense. So when you started your business, the first one that was not the success that you thought it might be, um, but it kind of was the foundational steps for the success that was to come, you were learning how to create a business, but that seems like less of a steep learning curve than teaching yourself about plants and floristry. Tell us about that process. And aside from a good hard day of hoovering, how did you teach yourself both of these skills simultaneously, Philippa? Um, the reason why I fell into floristry was because I was fascinated by business and brands in particular. I love brands. I love the story behind brands. I love the communities that are connected with brands, the story of brands, and how you can take a relatively generic product that can be multiplied multiple times, how it produce multiple times. How is it that some brands are successful and others just simply flop? What is it about a brand that makes it really successful? And that was my starting point. And I put the whole concept of a brand and floristry together. It just so happened it was floristry that I fell in love with and, and I was I clearly had a sort of a, a natural skill with that. So from ver- from the very, very beginning, I made sure that I had a very clear identity. I understood what I was about. I understood what I was selling. I understood who my client base was going to be. Now, it, it's not that it has absolutely stuck by that through all of the years. It has changed constantly. And I think that's the other point with um, running a business is you have to evolve. Things change. I mean, look look at the situation we're in at the moment. And I think it is that's, that's one of the things about not just floristry, but I think with creatives is the, is the understanding of making sure you have a very, very clear brand. But also it's got to be true. Right. Um, there's no point saying, right, my style is going to be dramatic and wild and it's it's all about bright colours. If you are a very reserved, quiet person, it's never going to work. People are 
smart and clever and they're going to see through that. So you have to make sure that whatever your brand, whatever your story is, is an absolute reflection of, of who you are and, and what's really important to you. Wow. There are a couple of things that are really resonating here with me. One is, um, I'm going to hearken back to a previous answer you were you were giving to us about that celebration of naivete and that first love kind of moment when someone discovers flowers and their own love of flowers or plants or gardens or whatever it might be. But for you, it was the floristry and the working with the plants and their personalities. And there is never a time except for that first falling in love where you are so open and willing to be receptive and learn. You know, it's sort of like being in a foreign country and you have no gates up. And as you get more and more familiar with the work and the business and the flowers, it becomes more of a um, of a habitual response, reaction, whatever it might be. And then I'm hearing you talk about business in a way that I find so beautiful, Philippa, because the idea of a brand and marketing can feel so yucky and it can feel so kind of manipulative and mercenary. But the way you just described it was its very best side. And that is the ability to recognize your own best traits, your own best intentions, and put them together in a way that they meet the need of somebody else, especially, you know, in this world of floristry, you're working with people in their biggest days of celebration or mourning or just life moments that are so momentous to them that the flowers sort of embody and are the containers for all of that emotional moment. Exactly. And I think it's... Um people people buy emotions they they buy a story and that's what people connect with and i think more it's so essential when it comes to things like weddings and events because you never come across a more emotive situation um i think also i mean a really really key part and, and jennifer you just picked up on exactly that in floristry you also have to love people that is so important because you need to understand your clients you need to understand what they're looking for and you need to be able to interpret that and then create that brilliantly and clients can be really tricky at times and they can be very demanding and you need to very much understand that and also understand the situation that they're in um things like weddings in particular can be incredibly stressful and you need to be very forgiving and to go with that and also i think particularly with forestry ego can't come into it because this is about your client this is their day their designs that you're creating for them it's a reflection of who they are and you were just a cog in that wheel and i think as soon as you start putting ego into it that becomes very dangerous so you need to make sure that it's the client that's really shining through your work as well 
Yeah. And, and the best part of the client, the heart of what they originally wanted, because you and I know I, my mother was a, a wedding florist for much of my childhood. And the best part of a client can get lost in that stress of a highly yes. emotional day. And it doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, the client may well be marrying into a royal family, or it could be, it doesn't matter who the client is, every single one is equally as important and um this is this is their incredibly special day and and you're you're, you're absolutely right it's it's discovering it's seeing the, the the best in that person and really bringing that out and shining that so we're talking about i mean at at a baseline level we're talking about being highly attuned to a client another human being sometimes two or three of them you are talking about being highly attuned to the flowers and plants and the seasons in which you will be working with these humans. And you're talking about a sustainable business model. When you were first coming up with this realization that you had to create a brand that was both clear and true and responsive enough that it could grow and evolve. How did you do that for you? Like walk us through the Philippa Craddock brand as it was first born and then as it has evolved, Philippa. So it was really important for me that the brand stood for classics. So the designs that I love, everything from clothes to interiors, um, music, food. I love classic and also things that are quite pared back and are natural and are not too in your face. So that was that was incredibly important right from the beginning, that that was a story that I wanted to tell. I mean, everything from sort of logo through to the design of the website, but most importantly, through the actual flowers. Um, the other thing I realized was very important is is capturing is, is great photography, being able to communicate um, my style and my, and my the designs that I created. It was, it's such a visual business that I had to make sure that I had great, great photographs to be able to tell that story. And the branding and the story of the brand hasn't changed. In fact, that has remained similar. It's become more confident as I have become more confident. But my style of floristry has, has definitely changed. I look back in the early days and quite a lot of quite a lot of the designs were very structured. They were very rigid. I think a lot of that's reflected maybe in some of my nerves as I was just beginning to understand floristry and design. I, I designed, I, I was probably quite uptight. And then as I sort of fell into it and, and became more confident in what I was doing, my designs became more fluid as well. So I think you can, you can absolutely see um, the style of my work as I began to relax. And now I'm, now I'm pretty horizontal when it comes to designing. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Philippa Craddock is a floral designer based in the United Kingdom, known for her romantic, foraged look displays. Through her love affair with flowers and her business, she has stepped into her own sense of self, creativity, and confident leadership, 
We'll be right back with more. Stay with us. Hey, I don't know about you, but I loved Philippa sharing with us about landing one of her first floral contracts in a restaurant by being willing to hoover for them for the day as a way to be helpful and thus show them who she was. She saw their need and she stepped in to fill it. Similarly, her incredible audacity to take on learning and trying floral design in part because she didn't know better. Her naivete is disarmingly simple and brave, but simple. Her willingness to fail because she cared so much about trying These are among the reasons I chose her work to feature in The Earth in Her Hands. Philippa is also without question a standard bearer in sustainability in floral design, reducing overall waste in her work and being publicly vocal about not using unbiodegradable synthetic floral foam, not even in her largest arches and other installations. She joins her voice to other leading voices in the industry in this cause, including the other floral designers in my book, as well as the creative likes of Shane Conley, the brilliant designer behind the florals at the weddings of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge in 2011, and the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall in 2005. Thank you to everyone who has been ordering signed copies of The Earth in Her Hands from me on CultivatingPlace.com. You just have no idea what an honor it is to send these books off with their personalized messages of hope and love. I sent many for Mother's Day last month, and many more just recently for people offering them as shower presents and birthday presents for friends and family old and young. Amy Clay in Oxford, Ohio, wrote me to say, Hooray! The book arrived today, and I cannot wait to give it to my dear friend and amazing gardener for her birthday. She will love it. I have been trying to read my copy only a few profiles at a time, so I can really soak all of them up. Thank you, Amy. I love that in this time of uncertainty, from my place in isolation, out to yours. This book might serve as an inspiring wayfinder for other plant-loving people who might need such a wayfinder. I find Philippa Craddock to be such a wayfinder. And now back to our inspiring, flower-loving, floral-designing, and business conversation with Philippa. June is often the height of wedding season in the Northern Hemisphere, and with more than a few weddings delayed this year as a result of the chaos of the pandemic, we're joined by floral designer Philippa Craddock, who you may remember was the floral designer behind the May 2018 wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. As we come back, Philippa is sharing her thoughts on sustainability at all levels of a floral business, from the environmental to the financial. So the environmental side, obviously very, very, very important, um, particularly sort of in the world that we're living with in at the moment. Mm -hmm. For me, where that comes from, I am... I absolutely hate waste and that that is just part of who I am but I am also a terrible hoarder 
I find it very, very hard to let go of things. So therefore, it is really important in everything that I do that things are repurposed constantly and there isn't there isn't waste. So that is something that's been very easy in the business in terms of reusing mechanics, composting, uh, greenery, et cetera, et cetera. So that was even sort of back 10 years ago, I think sort of environmental practices weren't something that was really significantly highlighted in business. That was very much part of the business um, intuitively right from the beginning. In terms of sustainability in running a business, it's running a business is hard. It's really, really hard. It is not something that happens overnight. It requires a huge commitment and it definitely requires compromises. So in the early days, I'm very lucky. I, I have a I have a very large family and I have some superb friends. But as I was starting my business, I also was um, starting my young family and something had to give. So my focus had to be on the business and it had to be on my immediate family. So um, distant relatives and friends, um, they kind of very much went by the wayside, not not in terms of my, my thoughts, but just in terms of my time. And that's something that you need to be really aware of because otherwise you're going to be very, very stretched and you have to be okay with that. And my business grew rapidly. And we were doing a number of different things. Um, it was just sort of crazy. We sort of at the biggest stage, um, we had an enormous uh, concession retail outlet in Selfridges, which had a huge full-time team. We had two studios, one in the countryside, one up in London. We had an online platform where we were selling um, flowers that were being delivered all around the UK. And we also had a series of vases, et cetera, et cetera on top of the weddings and events. So it was huge and it was big and I definitely wasn't enjoying it at that stage. It was just, it was, it was, it was too much. And that, unless you're then going to bring in sort of a super CEO and very, very sort of powerful business people, that wasn't sustainable. So I certainly had to look at the business and decide what are the bits that I love the most and what can I cut back on to make sure it can be sustainable um, and to make sure that I'm I'm really happy. So the clear one um, was coming out of Selfridges, which was a very, very hard decision. It, it took us years to get in there. But um, once I made that decision, I was incredibly happy. And um, and then various other restructures um, into where we are with the business at the moment. And now it's a very, very happy place um, and highly sustainable, which is really exciting. But that's sort of part of business. It's, it's making um, different changes and it's, it's being brave with some of your decisions as well. Yeah. Oh, that bravery. Well, I think first the awareness of of how you're feeling and how you're responding and how you're handling the different stages of where you were. And once you are aware, then making those brave decisions. So all of which is, you know, part of learning to be human as well as part of learning to run a business, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. But I think also it's really important to give things a go. You've mm. got to try try things and test them out. And um, there are also superb challenges. I love setting big, ambitious goals and um, and seeing how they go. And I think I think um, there are certain things in business as well that, that only have a certain period. You're only going to do them for X number of years. Um, and you have to give them your role during that time and if it gets to a stage where you're no longer enjoying them then that that's the time to stop right so I think you have some particular insights because you came to the work loving business first and falling in love with flowers second you have a a, a perspective that I think a lot of floral designers and small business holders maybe don't have they started with the love of flowers and then had to figure out how to create a solid business model tell us about your current business model what does it include and how has it changed over this period of the the pandemic philip because talk about a period of time in which we all needed to be responsive and adaptable wow yeah my goodness absolutely it's just it's just extraordinary what's happening um at the moment and we were fortunate in that i'd made quite a lot of decisions prior to the pandemic and one of the things that we have done is sort of moving more into the education side in floristry so although i have a love of the branding side and, and the marketing and that that certainly wasn't my previous experience um I I was actually a headhunter before so completely mm-hmm. and utterly different mm-hmm. but things like I've had to teach myself sort of the essential business side has haven't come intuitively to me at all and I what I very much want to do is support other florists and flower enthusiasts. So we set up a flower school in our London studio two or three years ago now. And we were running a series of really successful workshops and people were coming from all over the world. Um, And it was really exciting bringing everybody together from Russia and um, Korea and um, United States and Central South America, Europe, et cetera, et cetera. And what I was seeing, people originally were coming over to learn skills Mm -hmm. and techniques, particularly some of the really bigger installation pieces. But what I was realizing more than ever was a lot of people were missing confidence and confidence on the business side. They did have the knowledge there, but they just didn't know how to apply it. So I now feel very passionately about supporting florists um, on the business side, but also on the technical side. So we have moved our workshops and this was already in process it's it's almost as if we sort of knew something was going to happen but rather than having workshops in studios we were beginning to move everything online so we could run a series of workshops and reach more people around the world and they are a combination of where there's one main big business course it's purely theory based and it looks at all the the branding the essential business side all behind um, your company but but purely focused on floristry businesses and then we've got a series of practical workshops as well and that's for everybody from people that are flower enthusiasts but haven't had any 
um, previous floristry experience right the way through to professional florists that have years and years of experience, but they're now looking to step up and be able to create sort of significant installations with confidence. And I think what is really special about our workshops is nobody's ever judged. Um, everybody comes into it with a very open mind and the support, the community, um, the support that the other forests give each other is extraordinary. And we, we bring that out and we draw that out. And there's never, ever a feeling of competition. And um, you often will have if somebody's entering into um, floristry for the very first time, particularly if they're if they're sort of a bit older, they will have had incredible experience in something else. So say, for example, they come from accountancy and then yet you've got a, a florist who's been a florist for years and years and years. But you marry those people up together and suddenly the accountant is supporting the florist and the florist is Florist is supporting the accountant. So this, this sort of transfer of skills is very powerful and it's incredible to see. And I, I like creating open platforms that encourage people to support and help each other. And I think um, I go about doing that by being very generous with things that I share. So right from the beginning, when anybody asks a question, I will always answer and help. So whether it's a business question or whether it's a um, a practical question about about a rigging piece for a suspended design. Um, I'm very very happy to share that information. I don't see anything as being secret. I want I want to be able to help and support. Yeah, and I think in some ways you've just answered this question, but your focus on building confidence and from that confidence being able to tap into people's inherent talents and passions. Um, you know, you talk about building community and building interdependence on one another that is supportive and collaborative rather than competitive. I think these these are ethos that we need in our world, in floristry and outside of floristry. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Floral designer Philippa Craddock began her professional floral life in just 2009 through self-study and perseverance. She quickly became a leading floral designer in the United Kingdom. We'll be right back for more with her floral journey story and insights. Stay with us. Okay, so thinking out loud this week. Bravery is the word that is sticking with me from this second segment of my conversation with Philippa. The bravery of eliminating things from our lives which are no longer serving us. For Philippa, this was deciding to give up her business presence at Selfridges after five years of great visibility and success there. It might have looked perfect from the outside, but it was no longer sustainable for Philippa. I think this time of cultural pause, which we are now coming out of in some often confusing ways, might have provided some of us with insights as to what we didn't miss while we were on this pause. Some things that with a little planning and bravery, we could work to permanently eliminate from our lives as we move forward. For me, this comes in how we garden and how we spend time in the garden in who we garden for, and how this is integrated into our everyday lives. 
These are what come to mind for me. What about you? What would you not miss not bringing back into your life after this pause? Now back to our floral and business conversation with Philippa Craddock, helping other floral lovers find confidence and clarity and bravery. My aim is to create a platform where people can be really open and honest about their concerns. So this was a studio-based workshop where we had a group of 10 people and it was a very advanced floristry course. And everybody there had been a florist for at least sort of five years, most of them longer. And And we were looking at creating some very significant installation pieces, really, really technical and quite demanding pieces. And there was this one particular um, lady who was superb, but there was something that I just sort of felt that she was holding back on. And I could see that she was lacking in confidence and I couldn't quite work out what it was. And I pulled her aside and we talked about it. And it turns out, and this is just so extraordinary in floristry, it turns out that although she was a phenomenal florist and she could create some amazing designs, she hadn't as yet mastered a hand tie. So it's a really, really simple sort of basic um, part of floristry. And it was something that she was really embarrassed about. And she would feel very scared if she was ever in a situation working as a freelancer or where she had to make a hand tie. So she would always duck out of opportunities just, just in case that ever happened. So once everybody had left, I pulled her aside. And within about 10 minutes or probably about 20 minutes, we had a mastering hand ties. And you could just see after that, she was able to relax and suddenly enjoy floristry so much more. But it was that it was that sort of embarrassment. And I remember as a, a child, never being able to get my time to tables never being able to get my five times or my seven or my eight times table and being so embarrassed about it. And I would do everything I could do to make sure that that was never discovered. And I remember that feeling. And um, I just want to make sure that, um, I I think every single person has some kind of things that they're embarrassed or scared about. But I just want to make sure that it's a really safe and supportive place where people can be honest about that. And then we can tackle whatever that is. And normally you can get to the bottom of that very, very quickly. And then people relax immediately after that. And it it may not be as something as simple as a hand tie. It, It could be that somebody is really scared about selling themselves or marketing or picking up the phone or walking in to um, meet the the really scary wedding planner. And there are some really, really simple tools and tricks and and how people can feel really comfortable in doing that. I love it. I think what I'm hearing and this is this is again true for so much in our lives, Philippa, but we just sometimes fail to articulate it or see it. But what I hear you saying is the, you know, very basic concepts of facing your fears by putting yourself in a position of uh, a supportive community in which there is a level of trust so that you can learn safely and all of those things will build your confidence and sort of head you in the direction you're supposed to be headed in. Yeah, exactly. And I think having having a business that you are so proud of and you love is such an incredible feeling and it boosts your confidence in every aspect of life. And I believe 
anybody and everybody, not only could everybody and everybody be be a florist, but anybody could run their own business if that's what they want to do. Not everybody wants to run their own business because it is, it's long hours, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you have to put yourself out there and there's, and there's quite a lot of risks. Um, but if you want to do it, then then you absolutely should do it. And, and nothing, there should be no barriers in the way for doing that. So when you think about the world of floristry and you think about this sort of bizarre time that we're in with this pandemic and a global lockdown and, you know, this very clear differentiation by people in authority of essential workers versus non-essential workers and what is essential. You know, we're all at home worried about, I don't know, flour and toilet paper or something. And, (laughs) you know, there's this almost existential conversation in in many of our heads as to what is essential in our own lives and how do we nurture and protect those essential things. When you think about floristry and small businesses and, you know, our own agency to craft new environmental and social and health outcomes in our world, where does floristry fit into that, Philippa? Why is it essential? It is absolutely essential in a whole number of different ways in terms of um, an economical uh, financial basis the number of florist business that employ people, um, they help the economy go. Um, that that in itself is really important. I think I think also the world that we're living in right now, um, so much importance and significance needs to be paid to design and also nature. One of the things that one of the things I've started doing is a series of um, tutorials each week on Instagram. So just sharing a number of different tips. And I've just, just before this, um, just before we're recording this, I've put together the most simple, simple design and it's just using cow parsley. But we look at cow parsley every single aspect of it and I talk about how you in the UK at the moment you you drive through the country lanes and you just ignore the cow parsley on the side of the road it's pretty insignificant but actually if you really stop and study it you will see the absolute miraculous beauty in the stands the ridges along the stands the tiny little perfect white petals and I think more than ever we need to stop, we need to pause, we need to look at nature around us. Um, in floristry, it's very much focused on the plants and the flowers and really, really understand and look at their beauty and marvel in their beauty. Um, I think that's one of the things that this time has really given to me, sort of, of course, sort of setting aside the absolute atrocities that are going on and the absolute awfulness the time just to pause and slow down and to really appreciate nature and that that sounds like a bit of a corny thing to say but I I really I really mean that and I think what is so beautiful and wonderful in floristry is you've got that side the design side the emotions working with people but it then has a really really important impact on our economies um, employment levels etc so 
therefore floristry is surely has got to be essential yeah and you see you know i'm watching from my own seat here in northern california and this time of the pandemic and the the lockdown across the world and we've had several major religious holidays transpire um both in the islamic world the christian world the judaic world you think about the death toll that we're hearing about every day and the mourning of people you you think about the wedding season that we're in and that has been in large part delayed and then you think about the babies who've been born and so much of our life we mark through the seasonal beauty and significance or symbolism of mm. our natural world and I think as humans, it might seem inessential to have flowers to mark a moment, but then you think about our long history on this planet and we, you know, since we have recorded civilization, we have people recording these momentous times in individual lives and collective yearly cycles. And it's always done with plants. Oh, I Absolutely. There was, um, I'm just looking this up now, there was, I remember I was working on this um, recently and looking back at the very, very first time that we know that flowers were used. And it, I mean, it, it dates back to like years and years and years ago. And as you were saying, for um, celebrations, um, also for a sort of awards, um, people, um sort of competing and right. in, they're, given, they're given a bunch of flowers or whether it's a funerals or et cetera, et cetera. I mean, c certainly back to the Egyptian times, um, yeah. the Egyptians were, were sort of, yeah, using, using flowers to decorate uh, flowers as, as well as greenery. And it's, it's that sort of beauty of, of bringing the sort of the, the natural side into your home and um, the fragrance and, yeah, the, the, the beauty that, that comes inside as well. It's, it's really significant. Yeah. And I, I've noticed on your website that uh, at this time, one of the endeavors you are participating in is connecting flower farmers directly with floral designers uh, as a sort of just hub to help people get what they need and then out to the individual people that are looking for this do you want to speak to that at all oh yes thank thank you for asking um about that 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 has been that has been such a lovely again just sort of part of what's been happening over the last few weeks so we were getting quite a few messages from other florists asking about flowers flower availability and if i was sourcing flowers and where i was getting flowers from um, and I realized that at the same time, I was seeing so many images in the news um, of nurseries and flower farmers um, wasting all their products because they didn't have anywhere for them to go. So it just seemed very obvious um, to connect both the florists and um, the flower farmers together. And I am lucky in that I um, I have, we have quite a big platform across Instagram where we have a voice. Um, so I think it's really important when you have that, you have to put that to a really good use. 
Um, so it was it was a really beautiful process um, to bring flower farmers and florists together. So we've now got on our website a list of over 100 um, farm, farmers all over the world and everything from very small farmers to quite significant um, growers with acres and acres. Um, and what I really hope is that people, of course, after this pandemic, will go back to using their long-standing suppliers. Um, we, we have some incredible suppliers based all around the world, but also they will add to that new relationships that they've built with local growers. I've discovered myself there's, there's five new growers that I wasn't aware of before. And um, I'm really excited about continuing to work with them after this, but but also still very much supporting our, our longstanding relationships. Right. And that strengthening of connectivity, especially within our, our local environments, uh, really makes the whole fabric of our world that much stronger. Mm. Um is there anything else you'd like to add, especially to home gardeners or makers, as to the reach of their own power, the um, the importance of their work and their creativity? Is there anything else you'd like to add to listeners, Philippa? I think, I think with flowers, I just I would love to encourage people just to play and have fun and to really, really enjoy the process. I think as florists, we're some of the luckiest people in the world. We have one of the best jobs and also never to take yourself too seriously. I think that's really, really important. I think so too. And not to forget that it's the flowers that are the most important thing. And if it wasn't for those, then then we certainly wouldn't be able to do our job and to let and to let them shine. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It's been a great treat to speak with you. Oh, Jennifer, thank you so much for having me. Philippa Craddock is a leading floral designer and floral business educator in the United Kingdom. For more information, find her at philippacraddock.com. Join us again next week when, in honor of National Pollinator Week, we revisit a conversation with Nadia Ruffin, entomologist, gardener, and educator based in Cincinnati, Ohio, a lover of bugs of all kinds. Since very young herself, Nadia loves sharing this admiration and curiosity with youth especially. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio, now also heard weekly on KWMR in Point Reyes Station. Over on CultivatingPlace.com this week, make sure to check out the episode notes and images of Philippa's lovely floral work on weddings and installations, epically large and romantically small. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.